0: Well, good morning. Again, yes, it is a beautiful morning. Um, How many of you this morning, when you are met with the greeting, how are you doing? Do you respond with, tired, but okay? Or, here's another good one I'm doing good, I'm just really busy, right? It's a common response to many, many a times where we greet one another. And, And Mark, I think we're getting just a little feedback down here, just a hair. Um, you know, I want you to know as as you think about some of you this morning are wrestling with whether you're going to make it another week. Some of you are just absolutely exhausted this morning. Some of you don't know if you can hold back the tears when you think about the tasks that are on your to do list for this upcoming next seven six days. Well, I want you to know you're not alone. You're not alone. Each one of us in here this morning, unless you're a morning person or you're over caffeinated, probably is wrestling through a bit of exhaustion, a bit of overwork. And these past few weeks, we've been going through the book of Hebrews, and this book is actually a sermon written to a first century urban congregation who's wrestling through, who's on the brink of just giving it all up. They're discouraged. And check this, they're just utterly exhausted like you and I, like most of us sitting in our chairs this morning. So what did they need? They need what we all need. They need what our passage repeats 10 times, this one word, they need rest. As the father of a newborn baby, I don't think I've ever longed for something with such great zeal as really... Good rest these last few weeks. And as I, you know, I'm up in the middle of the night, not nearly as much as my wife. She's a champion. Um, She's really amazing. But up in the middle of the night holding Ava, I think of this popular psychological study, maybe you've heard of it, that they did to a series of cats of all animals. And um, what they would do is they would stick these cats in a box and they're surrounded by water except they would take an empty flower pot and flip it upside down so that the only thing the cat could stand on was this flower pot. And as soon as it would start to fall asleep and it would enter REM sleep and its muscles would grow lax, it would fall into the water, it would wake it up, wake up, and then get back up on the pot. Okay? And they would keep this cat in this box for days. So no sleep for days. Eventually... They took the cat out of the box, but he'd been or she had been conditioned to the point that every time they entered REM sleep, they woke themselves up. They woke themselves up. And on average, these cats wouldn't survive longer than 35 days. They would die. I mean, this is, look, I don't like cats. You know, I know we're supposed to love all of God's creatures. I get that, you know, but I still wouldn't laugh at this. You know, this is pretty brutal. But what we can't miss, what we can't miss it's just how this has damaged the psyche of these cats. And I mean, I mean, of course, physical rest isn't the sum total of true rest. But there's a key component of spiritual deep rest that only comes from God himself. And we need this kind of whole rest. And what we'll find in our passage this morning is that if you don't rest now, you won't rest later. You won't, if you don't rest now, you won't rest later. And yet, even when we hear that phrase, for so many of us, rest is elusive, isn't it? Well, this morning we come with hope because there actually is good news. We can have rest here and now. We can experience the joy of rest that is invincible against the incessant pull of one of the most workaholic cultures of all time, our culture today. So how do we become a person who delights in rest now? If it's critical, if we don't rest now, then we won't rest later. How do we come become a person who delights in rest now? Well, if you're taking notes, we're going to walk through, one, why rest is so important now. Two, why we actually avoid rest. And three, how we enter rest now. So why is rest Uh, Why rest is so important now, why we avoid it, and then thirdly, how we enter it now. Because if you don't rest now, you won't rest later. If you haven't yet, would you turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4, Hebrews chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible or you've misplaced your own, um, we do have some free copies just on the flip side of those dividers there. Feel free to get up and grab one. We're going to be hunkering down and these 13 verses, um, so don't feel shy. Our passage is on page 649 of those community Bibles for you to follow along and easily find. Hebrews chapter 4. So first, let's ask this question. Why rest is so important now? We all have our reasons as to why rest is important, right? For some of you, rest is so important, you're contemplating taking some rest now during this talk. I ought to discourage that. Discourage that kind of rest. And and our writer of Hebrews, he comes with a perspective as to why rest is so important for us now, but it's not the most common by which we would normally determine why rest is important to us. We need rest many times because we feel like life has been hectic or we've extended a lot of emotional energy, but rest, real rest, it may start with your schedules, but it's always much bigger than that. What we find is that the author of Hebrews, he turns to Psalm 95, Psalm 95. And this, this Psalm, he quotes it three times in our passage in verses three, five, and seven. And if we were to bring those quotations together, it reads, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. This is God speaking. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So why Psalm 95? Why Psalm 95? Well, Psalm 95 was written as a warning to the wilderness generation. The wilderness generation in the biblical storyline was the people of Israel when they lived in Egypt under the oppression of Pharaoh, the king, the ruler. God saw, he saw his people in forced labor. I mean, grueling, terrible work conditions, seven days a week. There was no weekend partying and working for Friday. It was seven days straight on, a full work. They were victims of genocide and brutal injustice over the reign with racist hatred by the Egyptians against the nation of Israel. All they knew was work, work, and more work. Get up early, go to bed late. Back scarred by whips, skin scorched by the sun, and God had had enough. Actually, we find in the biblical story that the cries of the slaves actually come up and consume God before his face in the throne of heaven. He can't take it anymore. And so what does God do through a series of plagues against Egypt? He crushes Israel's slave master and frees them to be his people. No longer a slave, now they're a son. And so as soon as he brings them out of Egypt, he takes all of these ex-slaves. All they know is work. And he gives them 10 commands, 10 key commands to begin to recreate a new kind of community for a holy God, a different God than they've ever known before. And one of those commands in Exodus 20 reads like this. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner within your gates or your iPhone. No, but for in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. No more seven day work weeks, but a day to rest and remember. Remember that you're no longer slaves, no longer just carrier mules, but human beings made in the image of God, a God who rests. The Sabbath wasn't an option for the nation of Israel. If they ever hoped to rest later, they had to learn to rest now. And it's here that we see the first reason why rest is so important. It's because, rest is so important now is because of who it says you are. No one was designed to work seven days. No one. And so when you can't rest, what it tells about you is that you're a slave. You're a slave. I bet if we went around this room and asked each one of you, what is one of the biggest problems in your life right now? Probably 90% of you would say busyness, right? Busyness. Life is hectic. And you could say, Gabe, Gabe, you don't understand. You don't understand. I mean, I'm just too busy, too busy to slow down. This is a busy season at work. I'm too important to take a day off. But the author of Hebrews here is hinting that this just isn't true. This just isn't true. You see busyness, but busyness isn't the problem. You're a slave. We're slaves to success, so we overwork ourselves to death. Who has time for rest? I mean, this is the entrepreneurial spirit, right? It's time to work and work incessantly. My family just doesn't understand that. They don't understand my goals, my passions. My friends just don't get it. We're slaves to the idea that bigger is better or more is best. And so we overwork to have what our friends have, what our parents would never give us, what our cultural heroes tell us we need. We're slaves to our bosses who make demands on our schedule, pushing for the promotion from field slave to house slave. And we live in the delusion that if we just please our master, whoever that is, whatever it is, it'll give us rest. That promotion we so desperately wanted, those perfect grades, our parents' approval, that new car, that bigger and better, HG, or not HG, TV. They've got a new one now that's like, Past HD, and it's ridiculous. It's, it's beautiful. <laughs> <clears throat> <clears throat> but these things are just more pharaohs, aren't they? I mean, they're working us to the bone, reminding us that we're nothing but just dispensable wheels, you know, and, and the, the major machine to produce and to create. Nothing about identity as being made in the image of God, but we become instruments to produce, to create. We become slaves. Rest is so important today because of what it says about who you are. Without rest, you are defined by work, what you make. But there's another reason why rest is so important. In verse four, the author of Hebrew, author of Hebrews writes, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. He's quoting here specifically from Genesis 2. Obviously, the Sabbath command flows from the creation account. But here in Genesis 2, the very first book of the Bible, there after creating the world in six days, on the seventh day, God rests. Has nothing to do with the fall. Has nothing to do with broken creation has nothing to do with a specific institution of Israel. And this is rest altogether different, quite frankly. I mean, God doesn't have the physical, emotional, and mental limitations that we do. So what's going on here? You know, I love mid-afternoon siestas and Sunday afternoon naps. But God's rest, it involves a deep satisfaction in his finished work. It's a celebration. After looking at all that he's created, he sings over his people and his place. It is finished and it is very good. This is the language of enjoyment, of satisfaction. God enjoys the freedom of stop doing to enjoy what he has already done. And so the second reason why rest is so important now, not because, not just because of who it says you are, but because it frees you from needing to do Enough. We know that incessant drive to do enough. Our culture, we've made some huge technological shifts in the past 50 years. I mean, unbelievable, and there are various reasons as to why that's happened. But these shifts have made it easier and easier for each one of us to find our identity and our self worth in our work. We can work anywhere, so we work everywhere, don't we? Easily, our phones vibrate incessantly with emails, with texts, with blog updates. And our need to do enough has taken over every minute of our day. Every minute. Jobs have taken over as the primary way we find meaning and purpose in our lives. If we work enough to get that raise, if we work enough to get that promotion, if we work enough to get that title, and none of these things are bad, but if we're working for them, so that we finally have enough money, we finally have enough reputation, enough honor and power to finally feel worthwhile, then it's consumed and taken the reins of our life. It has become our master, and we do more and more to this incessantly raising bar of enough. This isn't the old American work ethic, this is working to survive working to justify your own existence every day as to why you're even here. So anxiety, any of us wrestle through anxiety, we wake up in the morning and we hear the subtle whispers of our heart saying, it's not enough. You're not doing enough. You're not worthy enough. You're losing ground. Everybody else is working. They'll fire you. You can't measure up. And our anxiety builds. And when you can't ever do enough, then you can never be satisfied with what you've done. Let me repeat that. If you can't ever do enough, then you can never really be satisfied with what's been done because you're always incessantly going on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing instead of finally sitting and resting and saying, it is finished. It is very good. So what happens is we grow exhausted in our work and depressed with our results? (laughs) So that after 40 years, you retire wondering what you did with your life and what now you're going to do with the rest of your restless life now that you don't have work as a distraction or work to define you. But then there are the wider effects of restlessness on our community. Let's just take it out of our individual lives and look at a wider community element here. You find that people isolate themselves more and more and we have no real friendships. Our families fall apart. Kids are always doing homework. Fathers are always at the job and mothers are incessantly cleaning, or you flip that depending on your family structure at this point in your life. If you're a single, you separate yourself from so many of your friends such that your whole identity becomes in your work life rather than any sort of social life outside of work. We drink an overabundance of alcohol. We watch a ton of TV and we spend hours surfing the internet for who knows what. The next greatest YouTube video, which are so fun at the same time. But there is an incessant desire to do more and more and more and more because when we can't rest, we escape. We run. There's a key difference there between resting and escaping. So then at the end of the day, you find yourself a slave on the run but never able to run away from the anxieties that hide in your very heart. Let's return to our friend, the author of Hebrews. And here afresh his call to remember in verse 1, the promise of entering his rest still stands. It still stands. The promise of entering God's rest still stands. This doesn't have to be us. You don't have to be a slave. You don't have to always worry about doing enough. Rather, when you enter God's rest, you stand tall like a son and daughter rather than hunched over like a slave. You're given a rest that proclaims over you, it is finished, you are very good. As God proclaims that over you in the finished work of Christ in the cross. And that continuous cry to do more is silenced as God enjoys you and you are satisfied in God. I mean, don't you want that? Don't each one of us want that? Don't we need that? We don't. We don't really want it. We don't actually think that's what's best for us. In fact, most of us here spend a majority of our lives trying to avoid it. No matter how good it sounds, we're chasing escape rather than rest. And that's why the author of Hebrews has to say in verse 1, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Or verse 11, let us therefore strive to enter it. Even though it's so attractive, even though it's so beautiful, even though we know that's what's the soothe for our souls, many of us avoid this rest. And we'd rather be satisfied with a temporary escape than lasting rest. Why is that? Well, let's look at why we avoid rest. Well, again, the author of Hebrews, he shows us the example of this wilderness generation, okay? And soon after they're freed out of slavery from Egypt, where does God bring them? The desert. Awesome, right? I, you know, I like Phoenix. You know, that's all great and dandy. But deserts aren't really the nicest terrain to travel. It's kind of like the beach without the water, um, right? The sun is twice as strong. There's no food. Um, sand gets everywhere. I mean everywhere. And you're consistently walking. And, and just when the nation of Israel is at its tiredest, at its crankiest, at its hungriest, God tells them they're going to they're gonna go fight to enter the land of rest. Imagine God saying, by going up to the foreign land of Canaan, fighting the, the inhabitants of the land who are bigger, taller, And more in numbers than you, who have better fighting tactics than you, who are more experienced fighters than you, have sturdier walls and impenetrable fortresses to overcome. And when you're done, this will be a place of rest for you and your families forever, and I will be with you through it all. (laughs) And even that's how we would hear it. It's kind of like this little speed up at the end, and and I will be with you through it all. Because all we really hear is the beginning, the trials to overcome the great insurmountable realities that God is calling us into. I mean, what would you say? Well, they basically say, all that's enter your rest? Nice. A terrible end to a horrible road trip. This is excellent. Thanks, but no thanks, God. Right? We can't do this. And when they say we can't do this, they're pretty much saying, God, you can't do this. Because God isn't concerned about what we can and can't do. He's concerned about what you think he can do. They didn't believe God could do it and they disobeyed God's command to go into the land. And after this, God's patience ran out. His patience ran out. If they won't rest now, then they'll never know how to rest later. So God says, as I swore in my wrath, his just wrath, they shall not enter my rest. What a scary thought. What a weighty reality. And we avoid rest the same way they did. I mean, God's ways are not our ways. They seem so strange to us at times. And so we see that the first reason we avoid rest is because, quite frankly, we don't want God to be present when we get down to it. We want fulfillment. We want sleep. We want satisfaction, joy, delight, love, and peace but without the God who gives in Christ. So we schedule long vacations. We build up a good security blanket. We invest in friendships. We even sleep in. And wonder why we are still so restless. Why our worlds still are running a million miles a minute. And the reason we don't want God's presence is the same reason we don't hang out with many people because we don't want to hear what God has to say. He'll remind you that you're limited. He'll remind you that he's God and you're not. He'll remind you that he designed you a particular way for a particular purpose, his particular way for his particular purposes. And you don't wanna hear that either. He'll tell you that you are so sinful that he had to become human and die to save you from yourself. When God's present, he confronts our delusions. And the truth isn't always comfy. It's hard to stomach at times. And the author of Hebrews, he knows the work of God's word. I mean, look at verses 12 and 13 here. For the word of God is living and active. You know, many times when this passage is preached, it's preached as a comfort. <laughs> but this is a warning for those who are listening. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. He's picking up once again on this Exodus narrative, this story of the wilderness generation. Because what happens in the story is that the nation of Israel, they won't go into the promised land. They won't listen to the two spies, Caleb and Joshua, and God says, fine, you are going to go into the wilderness for 40 years and you will die in the wilderness and your children will be shepherds in the wilderness for 40 years because you would not trust me. And then they go, wait, 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 wait. You know, now they're now that can, all right, you know, okay. We'll go into the land. And Moses goes, no, God said, now go into the desert. This is his new command. And they say, no, we're going to go take, we're going to go take the land. And Moses, what does he say? You will fall By the sword, if you try to go up in it. And they're decimated. And then they run with their tail between their legs back into the desert. This passage, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. If we do not hear this warning, we will fall by the very word that brings salvation and is the hope of rest. It becomes now the word of condemnation. It's easy to accept a God who loves and accepts you no matter what. But the real God not only loves and accepts you, but tells you he had to do something. He had to die for you to make you acceptable. The real God tells you to listen to his voice rather than just tattoo his name on your arm. It's not just about image, it's about integrity, about walking with him. And some of you would rather, some of us, include myself in there at times, would rather run from this God our whole lives rather than see who we really are and who God really is. But when we do that, when we run from this God, when we run away from the true and only God, we run from rest. I mean, there's no rest apart from him. Look at verse 1. The promise of entering his rest still stands. Verse 3 and verse 5 where this quote is given. They shall not enter whose rest? My rest. And then we look down to verse 10. Whoever has entered God's rest has also rested. There is no it is finished apart from God. There is no it is very good apart from God and Christ. There is no longing There is only wanting and working and endless searching in a dry and barren land without God's presence. And the author of Hebrews, he doesn't want us to miss this. It's much more a come alongside rather than a scolding, but he's warning us. God doesn't want us to miss this. A day is coming when we won't be able to run any longer, but rather we will all stand before the ever-present God. And hear me today, if you don't rest in his presence now, you won't rest in his presence later. But there's another reason why we avoid rest. We avoid rest because we don't trust God will provide. And that sounds pretty cliche, pretty simple, but it's more subtle than that. It's more subtle than that. We may long for God's presence in our life, but we really don't think God's going to follow through. When he proclaims in Christ, you are very good and beautiful and I have finished your work in Christ. We can hold on to that almost every part of it except for it is finished part. We think God could have, couldn't have really meant that he loves and accepts me, not after what I did, not after what I've hidden from my boss, from my husband, from my wife, from my kids, from my coworkers, from my parents, you think that God let all that stuff slide in the past because of Jesus, but now you better not screw it up. And there are many things that we'd feel a lot more comfortable if God said over us, right? Just this once. Okay, I get that. I get that. Well, at least you're not as bad as them. Okay. I would, you know, I feel a lot more comfortable even with that phrase. And we can maybe deal with the fact that he's forgiven our past, but consistently forgiving, consistently seeing us as finished in Christ. That's hard. Even as I wake up every morning, and you could say this as a mantra, it is finished. (laughs) It is finished in Christ. And say it every morning, but it's difficult to really let it sink in for it to actually transform our lives, isn't it? And as soon as you begin doubting that God has provided, is providing, and will provide, then you return to that cycle of self-justification trying to prove to yourself, to your friends, to your co-workers, to your spouse, to God himself, that you're actually worthy of love. See, see, no, it is important. I am okay. No, no, I really do matter. See what value I bring. And God says, that's not what matters. I love you for you through Christ. It is finished if you submit to Jesus and embrace him as your Lord and Savior. Nothing you can do. Don't listen to these old slave masters. Just come and hear the it is finished through Jesus. But when we return to that self-justification, this is what Pastor Tim Keller highlights as the work beneath the work, right? Um, behind your workaholism, our lack of rest, our overscheduled lives, are our hopes to finally justify our existence, to be accepted. And this lack of rest is always a sign of lack of faith. This is what the writer of Hebrews points to. Look at verse 2. For good news came to us, just as it to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. We don't really believe that the world won't collapse if we take a day off. We really don't believe that if we're not the top of our class, we're not important. We really don't believe that if we don't get that promotion, I really am validated that I have value in this world. And so our anxiety builds, we have trouble sleeping because we won't trust God. So the million dollar question is how do we enter rest now? How do we receive rest when we so often avoid it? And I think The author of Hebrews points to two important aspects on how to enter rest now. We first get rest by entering the practice of letting go. Entering the practice of letting go. Look at verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Another way of translating strive, striving here is making every effort, making every effort. And that sounds, um, Contradiction, like a contradiction, but the gospel is very clear that we can never earn God's love or his forgiveness. This is a gift through Jesus. But if we long for rest to ever be real in our life, more than just words, we have to enter the practice of letting go, of letting go. I mean, isn't it interesting in a highly workaholic culture that the one out of the 10 major commands out of the Old Testament that we often just go, ah, you know, yeah, that's not important is the Sabbath, the day where we're actually told to stop doing, the day where we're commanded to actually imitate our resting God and rest and enjoy. Look, I'm not advocating for us returning to the Saturday or this is going to be your Sunday, but I do think we need to return to a day I don't know what happened to us that we felt like we need to eradicate having any day of rest whatsoever. Seven days of work. You know, that, that rest thing was really good for the Israelites. They weren't strong enough. They didn't have the Holy Spirit. Now in Jesus, our work is too important to ever take a day off, right? We must continue on seven days a week incessantly burying ourselves into the ground because we have a greater hope and a greater work within us. No. Nowhere is the Sabbath eradicated in terms of having a day of rest as God has designed it. And so what if, what if you took a day to practice the discipline of letting go, of stop doing? What if you took a day with your family or a time with your friends and stopped working, but enjoyed? Said, it is finished and it is very good. That for me and my family is on Fridays. You know, Sunday is my quote unquote as a pastor, right? Right? Workday, whatever. Um, but Fridays is the one day. I mean, how, how else can you talk about it, right? Let's just be frank here for a second, whoever Frank is. Now, <coughs> Fridays are the one day where my family and I, I put my phone on Google Pause. If you've never done that before, if you use Chrome, it's really great. It pauses your emails. They don't come to your phone or anything. And if somebody wants to get a hold of me, they call me on my phone if it's an emergency. I, I pause my email, and I just spend time with my family. I'm not perfect. And many times it takes a few hours in the morning for me to let that stuff go away, <laughs> to really just be present and enjoy God's good gifts. But Man, there was a season where I didn't take a, a day to be and to stop doing. Right when I first started here at downtown, about a year and a half ago, and what happened is I became very mechanical. I saw it in myself. I lost empathy. I became very much task-oriented, and my wife noticed it very well, but I didn't want to listen. And I became so focused always on doing that I forgot the joy of being. I forgot what it meant to actually rest and who I was designed to be. And some of you need to practice that. It's hard. A time to enjoy the work of your hands and your creator. So what do you need to stop doing so you can see what God is doing? What do you need to stop doing to see and take notice and enjoy what God is doing. For most of us, though, we can't stop working. It took a lot of work, quite frankly, for me to switch. I had to go half days on Fridays first because I was so addicted. <laughs> I was like, my, my body just did not want to take a day to rest. Showed up in my relationships. And for many of us, we can't risk being unavailable or not getting that assignment done perfectly or that job assignment done perfectly. What if we practiced letting go? It's in letting go you remember you're not indispensable. The classic word for this in the church is humility. (laughs) Realizing you're not the end all of all. That the world keeps turning without you if something were to happen to you. That God's got bigger things going on than just in your life. In letting go we find out that our problems and our worries don't always need our constant care because God's actually taking care of them too. He's working behind the scenes. It's humbling. It's in letting go that you drink deeply of God's grace, remembering that he doesn't love you for what you've got done or what you left left undone, but he loves you through Christ. Enter the practice of letting go. And the only reason this is ever possible, the only reason this is ever possible is to enter the practice of letting go is by trusting the only person who can carry it all. This isn't done just so that we can go about our lives separated from God and now I'm going to just stop doing stuff on Fridays. The work under the work, the work beneath the work continues to rumble unless we trust the only person who can carry it all. In a biblical sense, rest is first and foremost a person. And if you look in verse eight, look at verse eight, the author, he mentions this great military leader, Joshua, right? A whole book is named after this guy in the Old Testament. He's the great leader who secedes uh, Moses and brings Israel into the promised land. But the author doesn't point at Joshua. He points through Joshua. For Joshua didn't lead the people into rest. Look at verse eight. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. What was plain to these original hearers? We need decoding. We need help. Joshua is the Hebrew version of the Greek name Jesus, actually. And so what our author is saying is there's another rest coming because a better Joshua has come. This better Joshua, he calls out with all the rest of heaven saying, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, the words of Jesus and his great invitation. I want to close with this story, and some of you may have heard it before. But this past fall, um, as we were coming off the heightened work season for me, um, of the launch of this downtown campus, I, I, I was intentionally, probably intentionally, in and, and very unhealthy work and rest rhythms. Um, and I was consumed with doing, but I thought, once again, this is for Jesus, right, you know? Jesus is a great justifier for sin, isn't he? Man, we use him for all kinds of stuff that he doesn't want his name on. And, and I was living, you know, I was saying, telling myself, I'm in a constant Sabbath, you know, just always resting in Jesus. I don't need a day off. Like this super spiritual, like, come on, really? Then I was attending a conference and completely under, unaware of what God was doing. And the speaker that night, she asked us to do one thing. Listen. I was like, oh, great, nice. She didn't prepare. Um, (laughs) That's how hard-hearted I was. And, and, And she said, stop talking, stop singing, stop running around all the things you have to do, stop reading, and just sit for a second. You're always doing. Just stop and sit and listen. And I couldn't sit still, quite frankly, Like, after she said this, I was like, oh, those are cool lights. Oh, that's a great divider. You know, like I'm assessing the room. And she goes, no, stop. And I go, oh, gosh, okay. And then I realized why I couldn't stop. I was afraid. It, like, it hit me, and it was the work of the Spirit going on. I was afraid of what I would hear, quite frankly. I was afraid of my own thoughts. I was afraid of what God might say through the work of His Spirit at that very moment. And then instantly, I slowly, I breathed slowly, and I sat for a second, and I said, "What do you want to say, God?" <laughs> giving you space. And seriously, I felt this overwhelming comfort, and this, and sensing God saying, "Lay it down, lay it down." I actually have a post-it note where I wrote it out. I leave it now every every time, next any wherever I'm preaching from. Lay it down. Stop carrying it all. Lay it down. Lay it down. Lay it down. And I would mention one thing after another that was in my schedule. But let me, I've got this, God. No, lay it down. But I've got this. No, no, lay it down. Until I didn't have anything else to lay down but myself. And I wept. Man, having a baby, I wept like a baby. I mean, I was, my friend that was sitting there with me is like, are you okay? You know? <laughs> like, what's going on? I said, oh, God's doing something. Well, really, me know. Um, <laughs> You know, uh. And you see, rest is ultimately letting Jesus define you and carry you. His life, his death, his resurrection becomes our life, our death, our resurrection. His it is finished from the cross becomes our it is finished as we rest with him in resurrection life here and now. It's not easy, but it's restful. You know, it's as St. Augustine says, or Augustine says to Christ in his confessions, you have formed us for yourself and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in you. That's true. It's true for your pastor. It's true for every single one of us sitting in here this morning. And the only way you'll be able to let go is if you let him carry. The only way. And hear me this morning. Hear the author of Hebrews. If you don't rest now, You won't rest later. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you only because you came to us first. Ah, we get so even in prayer. (laughs) Even in prayer, we seek to justify ourselves before you with the right words and the right tone, the right body posture in case someone's eyes are open. And Quite frankly, God, we just come to you and we lay it down. May we trust you to carry it. We want you here with us. We know we can't do this without you. We know we can't live life on our own. We're tired of escaping. We want to rest. We want to be known as your son to rest in your finished work. Your daughter, rest in your finished work. We want to be able to let go and stand tall rather than being hunched over carrying it all. Father, we surrender to you. Slow us down. Amen. And we're going to actually just take a moment, um, a moment of silence with Jenny singing over you. <laughs> And she's going to sing the song that, we may, that may have been a new one for many of you. Slow me down, Lord, slow me down. Some of you wonder why God's not speaking to you. It's because you won't listen. You won't slow down and let the still, small voice of his spirit's presence speak into your life. So we're going to just take a moment of silence and allow God to just speak to your hearts through his word. What is he telling you to let go this morning? How do you need to let him carry it all, to trust him to provide? And after a few moments, we'll return and partake of communion together. So let's take a moment.
1: Down, oh Lord, slow me down. Help my heart to hear Your sound. Speak into my life, Lord, speak now. Slow me down, oh. Slow me down Clear my mind, O oh Lord Clear my mind Bring me peace that I cannot find Take my worry. Break my pride, clear my mind, O Lord, clear my mind. Wake my soul, O Lord, wake my soul with this mess I've made. Make me whole of this life called mine. Take control, wake my soul, oh Lord, wake my soul. Slow me down, O Lord, slow me down. Help my heart to hear your sound. Speak into my life, Lord, speak now. Slow me down, O Lord. Slow me down.
0: On the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it. In remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When we turn to the Lord's Supper, we remember the it is finished of Jesus Christ on the cross. The it is finished as well worn sinners, we eat to remember the rest we have in Christ. You don't have to be a member of Christ's community to partake in communion. But we do ask that you've learned to rest in Jesus. In other words, he has become your Lord and your Savior. Of course, if you'd rather, you can always take more time to spend in prayer and reflection. But if you do come, come down the center aisle, circle around to one of the two communion stations. You'll partake in groups of four to six in our gluten-free stations. Partake together and then return to your seats. There's no rush. You know, uh, stifle the need to get it done quickly.